Hello and welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, we take a look at David the fugitive who is hiding in caves. Will he do the right thing or will he do what he wants to do? Let's listen. All right, today I want to begin with a quote from really one of my favorite books uh, that's going to direct our study today. So, so here's our opening quote to think about. It's by Oz Guinness who says, It is truly difficult, perhaps impossible, to march only to your own drumbeat. Most of us, whether we are aware of it or not, do things with an eye to the approval of some audience or other. The question is not whether we have an audience, but which audience we have. A life lived listening to the decisive call of God is a life lived before one audience that exceeds all others. The audience of one. Okay, so with that quote in your mind, I want you thinking about which voice speaks loudest in your life. Uh, Which voice can you hear most clearly and consistently? We all have many voices that speak into our lives, that that shape who we are. And some of those are are good and, and helpful voices. I think of the voice of my family members, and they are so influential in shaping me into who I am and who I am becoming. That's a positive voice in my life. But we also have voices that are more subtle. Maybe we don't notice them as much, and they're not as helpful. For instance, I learned this past week that the average American spends over three hours a day on their smartphone. Did you know that? Does that surprise you? That that surprised me a little bit, but think about the voices that you're hearing in those three hours and, and the subtle impressions they have upon you. I also learned that the average American checks their phone 58 times a day. You know, just to kind of look. You're, oh, has anyone texted me? Did I get a notification? What time is it? All right, next time you check your phone, I want you to be in counting, mentally counting. And I'm curious if that's true for you um, or if you maybe exceed that. That will be interesting to, to learn. But all this to say, we are influenced by voices that we may not be fully aware of. Now, in the midst of all of these outside influences and voices, how do we learn to listen to an audience of one? That's really going to be our guiding question today. How can we learn to hear God's voice above all the other competing voices in our lives? Well, in our story this morning, David gets an opportunity to listen to a lot of different voices. And the voice that he chooses to listen to will have a great impact on whether he becomes king. So you've heard a little bit since we last met that what has happened is that Saul— The current king believes now incorrectly that David wants to take the kingdom by force. Now, David doesn't. David believes that God wants him to be king. But David believes that that's going to happen on God's timetable and not anybody else's. But since Saul doesn't believe that, Saul is now actively trying to kill David. And David is on the run. Uh, He and his men have found a cave to hide in. That's how desperate they are. They're they're not even welcome in homes anymore because that's too dangerous. They're hiding in a cave, and that's where our story begins. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, 
he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. So we are told that David and his men are hiding in the wilderness of En Gedi. Now that word En Gedi means spring of the young goat. And the reason it means that is because the terrain was so steep and so challenging that really only a mountain goat would be comfortable in that sort of terrain. We have a picture of the actual En Gedi region to, to try to get your minds imagining what it would have been like to hide into one of these caves. Well, that's where David is. And Saul knows that he's somewhere in that vicinity. So Saul recruits 3,000 men, and not just normal men, but elite men, to go and find David. We're told a little bit earlier in this story that at this time, David only has 600 men by his side. So Saul has five times as many men as David as he is going to hunt him down. David is hiding in one of those caves, and he knows it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time before Saul finds him in that cave. So our initial question is, what do you do when you're hiding in a cave? I mean, imagine that you're being pursued by the most powerful person in the country along with his mighty forces. They're closing in on you. You are surrounded. You don't know if you're going to make it out alive. What do you do when you're hiding in a cave? David prayed. Yes, David decided that when he had nowhere else to turn, he was going to turn to God. And we are so lucky because many of his prayers he wrote down. And those prayers are recorded in our Bibles. We have the actual prayer that he prayed as he was hiding in that cave, knowing that Saul and his men were just outside. So I want to read a portion of that psalm today. It's Psalm 57. And as we read that, just imagine that you're in David's place, that danger is right outside that cave, and you have nowhere else to turn but God. These are his words that he spoke to God in this time. So Psalm 57 begins with some directions that were later added. It says, for the choir director. The reason is that psalms were later used in worship. Just like Vanessa led us in two songs today where we sang together, psalms were the hymn book of God's people, so they would sing them. So this was later put to music. It says, A psalm of David regarding the time he fled from Saul and went into a cave to be son to the tune of Do Not Destroy. Do you all know that tune? No? Okay, me either, so I'm not going to sing it. We'll, we'll just read it today. But here are David's words. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes by. I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. He will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. My God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. 
I am surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey, whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows, and whose tongues cut like swords. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. My enemies have set a trap for me, and I am weary from distress. They have dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. Yes, my heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. The psalm goes on, but we're going to pause there, and I'm just going to ask you to think about your own reflections. What, what really stood out to you in that psalm that David wrote when he was surrounded by everything that could possibly go wrong? Uh, the things that stood out to me is that David's doing a really good job of, in a poetic way, describing how it feels when you're in an extremely stressful situation. I mean, think of the last time you were extremely stressed. It kind of felt like you were being hunted by fierce lions, didn't it? Yeah, we, we know that feeling. Or, or when people say things that are untrue about you, it feels like you're being pierced with spears and, and arrows, doesn't it? Like, oh, you're hitting me right here. And, and we can all think of those times that a tongue pierced us like a sword, can't we? Yes, David does such a good job of describing how any of us would feel if we were in his shoes. But the startling beauty comes when he expresses his confidence in God despite his situation. Uh, he tells God, I'm going to hide beneath the protection of your wings. Yeah, he might be literally hiding in a cave, but he recognizes that spiritually, he's hiding with God. He says he's going to sing God's praises. Even in that cave, he's going to trust in God's faithfulness. He says he will look to God and God alone for protection. I wonder, where do you need to sing God's praises even in the midst of life's storms. Yeah, when life is really hard, we need to also be able to turn towards God. And yet, I recognize that when life is particularly challenging, we don't always have the words, do we? We may know that, yeah, I want to go to God, but I don't know what to say. And if, if that's you, if you're in that situation, I would encourage you, use David's words. That's why we have the Psalms, where you can turn to God and just read the Psalms. Read the emotion that comes through on those pages saying, God, this is how I feel. God, this is my prayer to you. Let's see how David survives this situation. It says, At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. But as it happened... David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today, the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. Yes, it just so happens that Saul had to use the restroom. And he picked the very cave that David and some of his men were hiding in. What a coincidence, right? Hmm. David's men 
interpret this to be an answer to David's prayer. Uh, They're saying, look, God has given Saul into your hands. Now is the time. He's defenseless. He doesn't know what is coming. You can kill him and take the throne for yourself. And, And I can understand why David's men feel this way. I mean, don't you think they are tired of running? Uh, Their lives are on the line just as much as David's are. They've put their families aside, their own personal aspirations aside, to go and follow and protect David, and now they see a chance to end it. So the question that we're asking at this point in the story is, will David murder Saul? Is this God's answer to David's prayer to rescue him from his enemies? And what would you do in this situation? Here's what David does. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robes. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. Yes, David chooses not to kill Saul. David, did you notice, was convicted by his conscience to not take away the kingdom that he believed God had given to Saul. I I think David's thinking goes along these lines. David's saying, okay, If God has anointed me to be king, then God is going to give the kingdom more as a gift. And it would be wrong to take the kingdom by force, particularly before God's timetable. Now, I doubt that this sat well with David's men. I mean, we're told he had to restrain them from them going and just killing Saul themselves. And I could see his men pleading with him, saying things like, you know that if Saul was in your place, he wouldn't hesitate. If he had an opportunity to kill you, you know he would do it. And David's men are right, aren't they? But David refuses to go with the logic of he would do that to you, so you have every right to do it to him. Instead, he uses a a different standard here. What would God have me do in this situation. Regardless of whether Saul was in my shoes, he's not. He's not in my position. I am. So what would God have me do in this situation? David is listening to an audience of one. Can you imagine how hard that must have been in that situation? I mean, everybody in that cave wanted him to do something different. But David realized that he doesn't have a responsibility to everyone in that cave. He was responsible to God and God alone. And David decided that murder is not what God wanted for that situation. And then David decides to double down in a major way. David walks out of the cave and presents himself to Saul and the 3,000 men who are seeking to kill him. We're told after Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him, My lord the king! 
And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. Because David has revealed himself to the one who is trying to kill him. In this way, he is pushing all of his chips to the middle of the table, isn't he? He is all in, in placing his faith in God. In placing his faith that God truly wants his protection. Okay, let's bring this back to us for a second. Because it's an amazing story, but it's not a story just for our own entertainment. It's instructive to us. It's supposed to shape our experience and faith in God. So, what I wonder is where are we still hiding in caves when we really need to trust God and step out? We all have places in our lives where we kind of we hide, don't we? we? We shrink back. We say it would be too hard to take that step, to walk out in confidence knowing that God goes with me. But David's our inspiration here. He's our example to come out of that cave and to say, no, if this is what God wants for me, then I'm going to take that step as hard as it is. So I wonder, what step is in front of you? What step is God asking you to take? David walks out, and he delivers a speech to, to Saul. And we don't have time to read it all today, but I encourage you to go home and read it yourselves. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 24. But the gist of what David says is, Saul, I've never been trying to kill you. You think I'm trying to take your throne by violence? I'm not doing that. God is going to be the one who judges between me and you. And, and here's how he ends this speech. He says, May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. God is my advocate, and he will rescue me from your power. So we're left wondering, what will Saul's reaction be? David, in this now incredibly vulnerable situation, with the cave behind him, and the 3,000 men in front of him, he's bowing low. What will Saul do with David? It says, when David had finished speaking, Saul called back, Is that really you, my son, David? And then he began to cry. And he said to David, You are a better man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. And now I realize that you are surely going to be king, and that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. David gets far more than he desires. Uh, David just desires safety. He wants Saul to understand that he's not committing treason. But Saul gives him more than that. For the first time in the scriptures, Saul acknowledges that one day the throne will be David's. Yes, David asks for his survival, and he receives the kingdom. This would not have happened if David listened to his men. I mean, his men, somewhat appropriately, wanted David to kill Saul when he had the chance. But a peaceful transfer of power would never have been possible if David took the kingdom by force. So David chose not to listen to the chorus of voices that were urging him to take the easy but incorrect decision. David listened to God. So now's our point to say, okay, what does this mean for us? Knowing that, that David did this and lived this life and lived this story, how does that impact us 
today. And I think one of the things that comes out bright and clear in this story is that we must do what is right, not what is convenient. Doesn't David show us that? Where the easy and convenient thing to do would have been just to kill Saul, take the easy way out. But David did what was right instead, what he believed God was asking him to do. It makes me wonder, how many times does our culture kind of speak into our lives and encourage us just to kind of cut corners or do the easy thing, look out just for number one, instead of doing what we know to be true and know what is right? Yes, God is calling us to a higher standard. And I think as a, as a part of that, did you notice why David did what was right? He did what was right because his conscience began bothering him. That's something else we can learn from this story, is that we must listen to conviction. Uh, when's the last time that you were really convicted about something? It's not a pleasant feeling, is it? But it can actually be very beneficial if we use it in the right way. I, I had a professor in seminary that, that put it in this way. He said, conviction is a positive experience. Although it may be unpleasant, it is the warning light of the soul that lets us know that all is not well. Adjustments need to be made. Yes, I believe that God often uses your conscience as a moral compass to, to guide you through this life. Uh, just like your car has a warning light, and, and that check engine light's going to go on when something's wrong, and you need to look a little bit deeper, Conviction can be almost the warning light of our soul, saying, hey, something's not quite right here. You need to look under the hood. You need to look inward and really check out where things are going in your life. And I would say, don't ignore the warning light. Don't ignore that feeling of conviction. It's easy to do because it doesn't feel very comfortable. But what happens when you ignore that check engine light on your car? After a while, your car is going to stop working. And the same is true for us. If we start ignoring that check engine light in us, we're not going to work exactly the way we should work either. The bottom line is that a life guided only by listening to others is eventually going to leave you rudderless. Uh, you cannot make everyone happy, ever. But the good news is that you don't have to. You are responsible to one person in this life and one alone and that is God. And so this story inspires us to let God be our compass and not the rest of the world or any outside voices. And it encourages us to learn how to hear God's voice above the chorus of many other voices. Yes, to listen to the audience of one. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.